Thank you, Stan and Nancy. Uh, thank you guys for joining us in worship today. Um, we are, if you are visiting with us and you are not a regular here at Restoration Church, um, we have been in a series that we call The Life You've Always Wanted. And it's based on a book by John Ortberg called The Life You've Always Wanted. There are copies of the book available in the, the lobby on the table. There's also reading guides. We're reading through it uh, this year together uh, as a congregation. And by this year, I mean starting in October and going all the way through, um, I believe it's next August. And this is a book about spiritual disciplines. And the first three chapters of this book talk about what spiritual disciplines are and how we use those disciplines to bring us into the life God has designed for us to live. There is a life that has been made available to us through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus that we can live, but oftentimes we don't experience it because we don't necessarily know what to do to get ourselves from point A, where we are, to point B, where God wants us to be. And spiritual disciplines, John tells us, are a way to help us get from point A to point B. And so there's a way to use them um, in, in a strategic way to get into that place of uh, that life we've always wanted. A lot of times when we think about spiritual disciplines, we think about doing them um, to be a good person. Or we do them because God wants us to. Um, we think of the good Sunday school answers maybe we gave as a kid. Um, the answer was pray, read your Bible, go to church, Jesus. I mean, those just you, the same answers over and over. And he looks at spiritual disciplines uh, a little bit different than maybe we were raised to look at them. In chapter 4, we talked about the first discipline, the practice of celebration. Did you know that celebration was a discipline? Yes, it is. And it's something that the Bible calls us to practice regularly. And some of us really struggle with the practice of celebration. We only celebrate when everything is just right. And I love the fact that God gave the people of Israel feasts that they had to celebrate when the calendar said celebrate. When it's Christmas, it's Christmas. And if you don't feel like Christmas and you don't feel like gathering with family and friends, guess what? The calendar has it and we do it. We celebrate because we're reminded that this life is not all that we live for. And no matter what I'm experiencing or facing right now, it's temporary. And I can celebrate because of what Christ has done. And so we talked about the discipline of celebration. And then this month, in chapter 5, we are talking about the practice of slowing. The practice of slowing. Um, I do want to remind you that starting next month, we're going to look at the practice of prayer. And we are starting the week of prayer, January the 2nd, all the way through January 8th. And there are prayer guides available out on the table in the lobby. Please take one with you. Today, there is no cost for those. Uh, there's a short devotional, and there's a prayer guide for us to use throughout the month. So when you come to one of the prayer services that we have, we're going to use that devotional, and that's going to be our prayer focus for that day. When we don't have a service together, as a body, that's our prayer focus for that day. And so that will lead us all the way through, or most of the way through, the, the month of January. 
And so please make sure you stop by and pick one of those up and we'll start the practice of prayer next week. But back to the practice of slowing. If you've got a Bible, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 12 is where we're going to start. And as we've been talking about the practice of slowing and the need for it, we talked about hurry sickness, what hurry sickness is, some of the symptoms of hurry sickness, the way that our culture pushes us towards hurry, how the word slow in our culture is actually a negative connotation. We do not do things slow. And if you are slow, that is never a compliment in our culture. And how we as believers have to intentionally choose to slow, to solitude, to Sabbath, to stop. A few weeks ago, <clears throat> we started a sermon series out of that series called Stop, Look, and Listen. And basically looking at this concept of the Sabbath and tracing it throughout the entire scripture, we talked about the word stop. Stop is introduced to us in Genesis chapter 2. The word Shabbat is the word we translate rest, literally meaning to cease, to stop. God stopped in Genesis chapter 2. We're reintroduced to this idea of Shabbat, Sabbath. In Exodus chapter 16, when God gives the people manna, He tells them to collect enough manna every day, but on the seventh day, the sixth day, they should gather two days' worth, because on the seventh day there will not be anyone, because on the seventh day we stop. We stop. The Jews would celebrate this weekly feast, this weekly festival that would begin Friday at sundown because of the day starts with rest and then we work. Starts at sundown on Friday, goes till Saturday at sundown and they rest, they remember. And what do we remember? We remember I am enough. I have enough. My identity is rooted in what God has said and what God has provided. We talked about the lie in the Garden of Eden. The lie that God is withholding something good. I don't have enough. The lie that you will be like God. I am not enough. When God says who we are and our identity is rooted in what he says and who we are, we have enough. And we are enough. And if we fail to practice Sabbath, if we fail to stop regularly. Now we talked about what the Apostle Paul says in Romans and Colossians and whether or not we should actually practice a literal Sabbath today or not. And I'm not going to tell you whether you should or shouldn't, but you should almost daily, sometimes more than once a day, practice Shabbat, where you stop and you listen and you look. We talked about what the, the Bible says, or I showed you a video from the Bible Project about the Sabbath being traced all the way through Scripture and how this idea of Sabbath is more than just one day of rest. It is, uh, as we read at the start of the service from Hebrews chapter 4, the Sabbath rest is, a, is, is an incredible principle in the life of the kingdom of God. It's, an ex, it's, an, it's a call to basically come back to Eden, to experience the Garden of Eden, to rest in the creative good that God has declared. And so we... I gave you the phrase, we rest, we play, no work, God loves me. We rest, we play, no work, God loves me. And I remind myself of that, so I fight against the production narrative, and I say, I am enough, I have enough. I don't need more possessions, I don't need new position, I don't need more power, I don't need influence, I don't need my appearance to change, I am enough, I have enough, I rest. However, 
We also talked about we were created to work. I don't know if you remember last week I told you that I had taken a pause from reading books um, because I wanted to read the scripture in bigger chunks. And so I felt like I needed to devote more time to just reading the scripture, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a follower of Jesus and I want to understand his word better. So I wanted to read it in bigger chunks. Because if you read a book in like one or two settings, I promise you, you will get more out of that. You will see connections made from chapter to chapter than if you just read short chunks every other day or every day. And so, not that that's not good, we could do both. But that's what I felt like the Lord was leading me into. But this week, we had to do some cleaning at my house. And so, when I clean, I need to do something other than just clean. I need to uh, have some type of listening. I have to listen to a podcast or watch television or listen to a book. And someone, months ago, one of my friends in town, had given me a book on building a discipleship culture in your church. So I was like, hey, that's a good book. He's a good guy. I'll listen to that book. Would you know when I got to chapter 8, I cleaned a long time. Um, Chapter (laughs) 8 of the book, do do you know what he talked about? Rest. Rest. And I want to read to you some of what I I heard. I didn't read it, but I heard it. I want to read this one quote to you. Listen, God designed us to be productive. See, this is the balance. We're to rest, yes. But we build our identities around our activities. We are not living in the truth of who God created us to be. We've become human doings rather than human beings. It's almost like he's read our mind. We need a biblical framework for a rhythm of life that allows us to be fruitful in balance with being at rest. We need to be secure in who we are based on what Christ did for us on the cross and the very great promises that we have that we are loved and accepted by him. We must stop striving to gain the acceptance of others by what we do, leading to a driven lifestyle. He goes on, work itself is not a curse. Before the fall, before Adam and Eve decided to go it alone without the hand of God in their lives, God had given them instructions on how to care for the garden. Work was assigned before the fall. We were designed for intentional activity to produce a sense of fruitfulness in our lives. Work is a strategic part of the human existence. We are to live productive lives or we will fall away from our God-given calling and the standard of basic humanity. We were created on the sixth day of creation in order to work. But even more important is what happened on the seventh day. God created man and woman on the sixth day, setting them in a garden full of wild, wonderful creatures and delicious foods. He gave them instruction on caring for the animals and plants in the garden. He told them to be fruitful. But on the first full day of existence for Adam and Eve, God rested. All of creation took a well-deserved break in activity. This was our first full day, a day of rest. Then the work began. From this, we see an important principle of life. We are to work from our rest, not rest from our work. And some of us grew up celebrating the Sabbath, much like we're going to see here in Matthew chapter 12, to rest from our work. 
And we've missed the whole principle that God wanted us to learn in the first place. And Jesus is going to point it out to the Pharisees here in Matthew chapter 12, is that we work from our rest. We work from a place where it's already finished. It doesn't mean my work isn't important. Absolutely, it's important. It's a calling. But it's not on me. It's on him. And if we don't get this right, it will mess up our relationship with God. And we will always be striving to be something that we are not. We will never feel like we're enough. We will always have to produce more. And at the end of the day, none of us is good. Only God is good. And if I'm reminded of that, my work can be restful instead of a burden. So, last week we started from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 30, this phrase where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we talked about how important it is for us not just to stop, but to listen. To listen. When we start rushing through life, when we just start thinking we know the answer, we've been down this road before, I know what to do. One of the, my favorite things about King David is he went into battle early in his his kingship and he asked the Lord what do we do and the next time he went into battle the same army the same battle he said to the Lord what do you want us to do and the Lord gave him different instructions we start to think once we learn the principles we just go put them into practice and we just rush through life and we think we're following the Lord and he's nowhere to be found I mean we're following patterns and we're tired and we're cranky because we're tired And people aren't coming with us, and people aren't working as hard as us, and I have a better work ethic than those people, and why won't they get better? Why won't those people do what? And we start to sound a whole lot like these Pharisees that we find when Jesus turns the page here in Matthew chapter 12. And last week we talked about how important it is to hear his voice and respond to him. Some of us will hear God in a devotion time or in a worship service, but then we'll go out into the real world and we'll face a situation and we won't apply what we heard. And the Bible says when you hear the word, but you don't put it into practice, you deceive yourself. So the next time you hear that word, you're like, yeah, I know that, but you're not actually putting it into practice because you're deceived. So that's why we stop and we listen. And today we're going to talk about, we also look. We stop, we listen, we look, and we do this regularly because we recognize we're driven people. We are, and we, the society around us is driving us towards something, and we want to make sure that we work from our rest. I'm going to try hard to say that correctly every time today, but if I get those flipped around, you know what I meant. Okay, let's just give me some grace right now and just say, hey, if you say that wrong, uh, I'll, I'll know what you mean. We have to learn to work from our rest. So we're going to turn the page into Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse number 1. At that time, right after Jesus said, come to me, weary, heavy weight, burden, I'll give you rest. Um, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look. Your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. 
Let's stop. The Pharisees and Jesus are both looking at what's happening, but they are seeing this situation very, very differently. There's no doubt that harvesting was forbidden on the Sabbath according to the Torah, the law, the instruction that was given. People were supposed to rest, slaves were supposed to rest, animals were supposed to rest, everyone was to rest. There were even Sabbath rests for the land every six years. And then every seven, seven years, the 49th year or the 50th year, there was another year of rest for the land. So God built in this idea of rest, not just because crop rotation is a good idea or because rest is a good idea for the soil. I mean, all of those things may be true, but God wants us to learn that it's not our productivity that keeps us going. It's him. And if you have to go three years without a harvest, you're going to learn something. And that's the point of Sabbath. The point of Sabbath is to learn that it's not by our own strength that we accomplish things. It's by His strength. Otherwise, we're tempted to work harder and think we're working harder than the people around us. And if they would work harder, just like we work hard, then everything would be okay. And much like the Pharisees. I mean, maybe we don't look at people and say, oh, look, they're breaking the Sabbath. Or maybe, but maybe we are like, well, that person's not driving like they should. If people would drive like me, then everything would be better. Okay, people, this is the lane for that. This is the, right? Or maybe that person isn't serving in the restaurant the way that, now, if they would just learn, or they're not counting change the proper way. If only everybody, and we voice our frustrations in much the same way. Lord, do you see that person? I can't even, they don't even have a work ethic. If their work ethic was even half of my work ethic, and you know what that comes from? That comes from the idea that we think we're actually in charge of our lives. That we're actually the ones. Our work, our productivity, our strength is what's accomplished it. Remember when the people of Israel went into the promised land and God said, when you get in there, you're going to start thinking you did this. I want you to stop and remember you didn't do any of this. I brought you out of Egypt and I brought you to myself to make you my people. Not because you were good, you weren't good. And that's the same thing he does for us. He brings us into his family, not because of the good things we've done, but because he is good. And when we get that settled in our hearts, our relationship with God, our work from rest, and our relationships with people around us, the people we know well and the people we don't know well, the people we like and our enemies, those relationships will flourish better when we get this settled in our hearts. And sometimes you have to stop, and you have to listen, and you have to look to make that happen. We know that harvesting was forbidden. But the question is, were the disciples harvesting? Sometimes I hear people say that Jesus broke the Sabbath all the time because he wanted to show people that you know, he was the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus did not break the Sabbath according to Torah at all, ever. According to the Torah, he kept the Sabbath because Jesus lived a sinless life. So there is no way he broke the Torah. What he broke was the oral traditions. Remember last week, we talked about the, the, the fence posts. <clears throat> the people of Israel come back from captivity 
And they're like, we don't want to break the laws again because if we break the laws again and we forget God, we're going to go back into captivity. We learned our lesson. So they start studying the Torah and they start memorizing the Torah and they make their kids memorize it. And then they don't even want to get close to laws like don't break the Sabbath. So then they start to put like borders, fence posts around it. Let's not do this and this and this and this and this. And then we'll be sure we don't get to break the Sabbath. These aren't laws. They're fence posts. These are oral tradition to keep us from breaking the Sabbath. Over time, these oral traditions almost become law to them. And so then they build fence posts around those fence posts. And then fence posts around those fence posts. And when Jesus comes along and says, you tie up heavy burdens, he's not kidding. I mean, there are 613 laws in the Torah. I don't even know how many thousands of laws are in the oral traditions. There's no way it's possible for them to keep putting them on others' shoulders. And so they, they wanted to keep the law. They wanted to keep the Sabbath, but they just kept doing all these things. So what Jesus is doing is he's, he's purposely breaking the oral traditions. He's purposely doing things on the Sabbath that are not forbidden in Torah, but they are forbidden according to the oral tradition. And I know that sometimes we're like, ha Jesus was really getting them good. But he was not doing it to be a jerk. Okay? He was doing it as a rabbi in an abrasive teaching method. He was using it to, to really rub them the wrong way in a way to draw them to truth. Like we kind of do things like that. We use sarcastic jabs in our culture. Um, those aren't very life-giving. What Jesus was doing was life-giving. The reason that they didn't receive it as life-giving was because their hearts were hardened. Okay? And the, I know it's easy for us to say, well, Jesus offended people, and I offend people too. And I just, just be careful when we get into the whole Jesus offended people, because he lived a sinless life, and I've yet to see any of us do that. So when we offend people, let's make sure it's not our abrasive personality, but it's actually the word of God that's offending them. And so Jesus comes along, and he starts to try to teach them. He starts to dig at what's happening here. So verse 3, he says, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and his companions and he ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet they're innocent? And I tell you that something greater then the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is trying to chip away at the oral traditions, their practice of the Sabbath, to teach them what the Sabbath was actually meant for and what the Torah was trying to point to. In Mark's version of this story, in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 27, Jesus says to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is even Lord of the Sabbath. See, what's happening is the, the Pharisees, in their desire to please God by keeping the Sabbath, are trying to, to develop all of these rules to keep everyone in line so that the Sabbath doesn't get broken so God is pleased. And God's like, I didn't give you the Sabbath so that you could please me. I gave you the Sabbath so that you could learn to trust me. I gave you the Sabbath so you would work from rest and not 
just have to rest from your work so that you wouldn't kill yourself six days of the week and then when you get to the seventh, just collapse and take a nap all day. Like, that's not what I intended for you. I intended a life where I do the work and you work with me and we are co-heirs, we're partners together in this thing. And that's why Sabbath appears from beginning, book of Genesis, all the way through Revelation. Because this isn't about just a day off. This is about our trust in Him. Not just the trust that He's working in my life, but the trust that He's working in someone else's life. So I don't have to point out every single flaw I see in everyone around me because I can trust that He's at work in them. I don't have to be the Holy Spirit. I can just love and serve and minister to them in a way that opens them to receive truth. That's kind of what the Apostle Paul says when he says, speak the truth in love. It's not... Well, I have to speak the truth to you because it's love, so shut up and listen to me. The kind of the way that we do on Facebook these days. It's in love, in a culture where I have loved a person enough, their heart opens and I can share truth with them because they know I care for them, because I've already laid down my life for them. There's not a lot of life laying down. That's what agape love is for people. There's a lot of giving people a, a tongue lashing. And I think a lot of it comes from the idea that we don't know how to work from rest. We got to get everything right. I mean, end times events are not going to happen right if we don't get things in line. Really? I think everything is going to happen the way he's called it to happen. That doesn't mean I don't read and study. I already told you I feel like I need to study better. I'm going to study, I'm going to work, but guess what? I can also slip into manipulation and try to jam things and force things and And I find that just doesn't work. It actually irritates not just the people around me, but it irritates me. In Matthew 23, this is what I alluded to earlier. Jesus says to the crowds, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. So be careful to do everything they tell you. But don't do what they do because they don't practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. I think throughout church history, we have tended to get very good at this. We put heavy burdens on people. And we tell people, this is how you have to live. And it's not that the scripture doesn't tell us how to live. It does. But there's a lot of things that we say the scripture says that I think are fence posts and not actually the scripture. They're just things that we have applied to the scripture to keep us from actually breaking God's law. If you I I gave us the illustration last week. I mean, the Bible says outside of a marriage relationship, there should be no sexual activity. And so how do we keep ourselves from from getting to that point? Well, let's. Let's, um, let's not have any dancing. We, we can't dance. There's nothing in the scripture that would tell us dancing is a sin. As far as I can t- trace it back through how I've studied where all of these things came from through church history, it's almost like we were afraid that if we allowed people to dance, it would cause them to lust, and then that would lead to other things. So let's take that away so we don't go to that. And I'm not saying those people are bad, and we should look back on those people and say, those terrible legalists. I think they did it with good intention in their heart. They wanted to protect people from breaking law, so they put fence posts around the law. But the problem is then the fence posts became our law. 
And we started adding and adding, and you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to do it this way, and you got to do it that way, and you got to believe this way. And if you don't believe end, time, end times are going to go the way I say they're going to go, then you're wrong. Wow. And there's no rest. And in some ways, I feel like what Jesus says to the Pharisees, he might say to us, if you would understand this, I want your mercy, not just sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent. When I read that phrase, I stop and think, God, how many times today did I condemn the innocent? I mean, I could show you they weren't innocent. I could point out what they were doing wrong and how I had to point it out. And maybe the, maybe the disciples were harvesting. Maybe rubbing the grain in your hand and getting the, the grain out of the shell so you could eat it. Maybe that's harvesting. Maybe they were guilty. Or maybe Jesus says, that's not the point. They were hungry and they needed food. Who of you, if you have an animal that falls into a pit on the Sabbath, is not going to lift it out? Because to care for your animal is greater than I'm not going to lift on the Sabbath. That's not the point of the Sabbath. The point of the Sabbath is to do good. In fact, if we go on through Matthew chapter 12, Jesus goes on from that place and he goes into their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand is there. Guys, this is where we've come sometimes in the church world. This passage holds some significance for me because this is a passage that I heard preached when I was a senior in Bible college that the Lord used to open my eyes. Because here's a man, I want you to picture this scene, whose hand is shriveled. He cannot use it. Shriveled. Standing in front of the crowd. Jesus has the power to make him whole. But look at what it says in the scripture. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. The Pharisees are actually using a man with a shriveled hand. Who cares about the guy with the shriveled hand? Who cares if he gets made whole? We want to get Jesus. Who cares how we fight? We just want the end result. Who cares who we hurt in the process? That's what the Pharisees are saying. So they asked Jesus, is it lawful 